Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. All right. Hey, uh, hopefully you've had enough coffee, enough donuts. You're not bringing that Baptist energy up in here. You're, you know, we want some of that Pentecostal energy today. Even if you're not Pentecostal, you just bring it in the house today. Now, what a great time in worship. I just love being in God's presence, God's house, worshiping together. It's such a powerful time. And uh, man, I could... I could talk about some of the things I feel like God was speaking to me there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from that. But man, it's just so good to be in God's presence. And every time we come together in church, we're doing spiritual warfare, but also God is using this opportunity to work in your heart and your spirit in your life. And uh, good things are going to come out of it. You can't be around the God of heaven and earth who loves you so much and not have good things happen in your life. So man, so glad you're here. Uh, I believe there's somebody here today that you were not planning on being here today. I don't know who you are, uh, but uh, you came to church today and your life's pretty messed up, pretty broken. And God wants you to know that you're in the right spot. He's going to speak to you today, moving forward. And uh, whatever that challenge is or that mountain that you see in front of you, God is going to divinely and supernaturally intervene in that situation. And you're going to see, I'm, 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 I think it could be something with a court case or a legal thing, maybe a divorce. I don't know, but God's going to work in that situation. So I don't know who that's for, but um, God's going to move in it. You're in the right spot today. He loves you for you. And uh, everybody else, God loves you too. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many of you watched some duck on duck violence yesterday inside Autzen Stadium? Yep, that was fun. Good time. And somebody said, who won? It was like, we did. And uh, it's awesome. Good stuff. Guys, we're starting a brand new series today called rewired. And this is a series where we're going to think about how we think. It's kind of like taking your eyeballs out to look at your face. Don't recommend it. Don't try that at home. But we're going to think about how we think. And specifically, we're going to allow God to work in our thought life and shape how we think and begin to, to help us deal with uh, how we think. So here's the deal with, with our thoughts. Everything comes from them. Everything starts there. Everything proceeds from there. I'm going I'm to talk about that a little bit more. But our life is a reflection of how we think. That's how it works. And so oftentimes we trust ourselves or we trust whatever experiences or things that we have. And uh, we sort of doubt God. And it really, it should be the opposite. We should say, God, will you help me think how you think? Because if he's real, if he is who he says he is, if so on and so forth, the Christian faith is uh, truth. Then, then God, uh, this is what I like to say about the Christian faith, it's the true story of reality. And it actually gives us a clear picture for how to live, uh, a, cl a clarity in what we do in our decision making, and it opens up us up to what, what God's uh, plan and, and purposes are in our life, which is really neat. So if you ever had this experience in life as we talk about thinking, where you think this about someone else, or maybe even about yourself, what in the heck were they thinking? Now, if you have kids, you think this every day. You did what? You know, and you have these moments. But I wanted to share some pictures. Have you ever had this experience? We get to enjoy someone else's uh, experience. What were they thinking? You know, Rachel said to me, and she's right. She said, this is just like, you know, this is Oregonians thinking they can drive on the beach. I'm like, yeah, I know. What makes me sad about this picture is that's not like a old Ford or something. That's a Mercedes. It's a Mercedes Benz now. Uh, <laughs> Next, what were they thinking? Yeah. This guy, <laughs> I don't know if you can quite see that uh, from where you're sitting, but man, you can, the man's neck is actually indicating that he's rethinking his life choices at this moment. <laughs> Just his posture right there. 
painted himself in a corner. All right, next one. <laughs> How many of you ever wanted to see what regret looks like in a picture? There you go. What were they thinking? Next. <laughs> Every man in their life has said, you know, oh, we'll, we'll get that in there. I got a truck. It'll fit. And then no, it, it didn't work. So I feel bad for these people. That's definitely Ikea, right? That has a very Ikea. I think that is Ikea. Yeah. All right. Next one. What were they thinking? Save the best for last. <laughs> oh, you know. If you don't get anything else out of today, listen, just hear my words, hear my words. Uh, just because you have a truck doesn't mean you know how to use it, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, some of you are like, I don't know what's wrong with this picture. Well, just, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. So what were they thinking? And, and you know what? Not just laughing at other people and taking, taking it out on them at their expense. I have had some serious, what were they thinking moments in my life. A couple years ago, this is 2016, we moved uh, houses, and you know, moving is kind of a, a lot. You, you know, with the family, you have a lot of things going on. And I, John White, who I was here at first service, I don't know if he's here now, but John White was helping us move. He's a good friend, and moved our, a washer and dryer into our, our laundry room. And I grabbed the plug to go into the 220 power, right? And I plug it in, and we had like a straight up Emperor Palpatine, like electrical arc that went from the plug that was not plugged into the dryer, it was plugged into the wall, 220 power. So I created a circuit between the wall power at 220 and some, some metal, and we had this massive arc. It made a loud like lightning sound. And I grabbed the plug and pulled it out, and John was like, you almost died. And I'm like, I did? Yes, you're an idiot. I think he used those words, but maybe nicer. He might have even put a little French in between. You're a no, idiot, you know? It was like, he just, and I'm like, I know, but what, what did I do? And he's like, you just about killed yourself with that 220 power. You're very, very lucky. And I'm like, I'm blessed. I'm a man of God, you know? So, so anyways, uh, my daughter's like praying right now. And she's like, Lord, I just pray for this luck. And I'm like, honey, that's not what we do. We don't pray for luck. We're Christians. We believe in blessing. She's like, what's the difference? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. But anyways. Very, very lucky there. And, uh, and, I, and John's like, what were you thinking? But, but even that, even as dumb as I've done stuff, I cannot surpass my father. Uh, my dad has done some truly spectacularly dumb things, and it's my joy to tell you them today. <laughs> so my dad, who's my absolute hero, incredible man of God, just amazing. But when he was in Bible college, when he was there in college, he was going to be ironing a shirt or some pants or something. And he, you know, he wanted to see, is the iron ready? Is it time? You know, is it time to go? So he decided to use, you know, a logical part of the body to determine if the iron was hot enough. His face. <laughs> so, so as I've heard it told, he said, I just thought I would hold it up to my face to, you know, feel the warmth. You know, your cheek's kind of sensitive. You can feel if it's hot. And he actually made contact and, uh, and, and we all say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Now, the reality is, uh, all joking aside, uh, most of the time, if we're honest about this, the way that we think and what we thought was a good decision in the moment often gets us into pretty bad trouble. Anybody? 
And it's not just with dumb stuff like plugging in the dryer without it being plugged into the dryer or trying to use an iron to uh, check your face. Please don't do that. Or tying your truck tire into whatever your <laughs> load is in the truck. It's, it's often uh, the more serious issues of life. It's our marriage. It's our family. It's our finances. It's our spirituality. It's how we approach uh, everything we do in life. It says in, in the scriptures in the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, uh, look, if, if, if you feel like you lack wisdom, just read Proverbs. Read one every day and let God speak to you about what it means to be a wise person. We live in a world with a lot of very smart people who are very uh, destructive to themselves and others because they lack wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge and the righteous application of knowledge, I believe, is maybe even a better way to say that. And so... In the book of Proverbs, it says this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way, there is a path, there is a direction, there is a decision that seems good in the moment. And you thought, this is what I need to do to get my goals, my objectives, my aims. But what ends up happening is it's a trap, right? Just like, uh, what's the guy, Admiral Akbar? It's a trap, you know, it leads to death. And the reality is that as human beings, we've been impacted by the fall and this thing we call sin. is not just that I did something bad, I had to say I was sorry, and now I move on to the next thing. Sin actually broke our thinking mechanism. So now what we think is left and right isn't really that. It's not corresponding to reality. And this affects us at so many layers of life. And I mentioned some in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, our finances, in all these areas. But we, we think we see very clearly. As my dad often will say, uh, you never see as clearly as when you're deceived. When you, when you seem to have no questions about your direction, oftentimes is the moment when you should stop, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself and say, God, I think that I see the right way. I think that I see uh, what needs to be done because it feels good to me. I once heard somebody say to me, well, if it feels good, it must be God. And I thought, I, I don't, I think that might be the first book of hesitations because that's not really um, the that's not true. In fact, that will often get you in major trouble, right? And yet, there's a way that seems right. It feels good. It, you know, we live in a culture where we're, we're so into actualizing and, you know, this is who I am. This is my authentic self. Well, if your authentic self is going to get wrecked, maybe you should become someone else, like a smarter, wiser version of you, right? The reality is the authentic you is found in a relationship with your creator who designed you. I want you to imagine pulling up, you get a brand new BMW, come on somebody, receive it in Jesus' name, you know? You get a brand new Beamer, it's like a whatever, seven series, you know, it's leather. It's like you, listen, you start listening to jazz because now you have that car. You didn't like it before, but now you're into it because, you know, it's like <laughs> you don't want to drive up in a BMW listening to like country or something. I mean, you just change your musical style. You go to McDonald's, but now you supersize every time. I mean, just upgraded. So you pull up to the, 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 the gas station and you're driving this, this beautiful, uh, you know, BMW and, and you're, you're like, I should get that Supreme gas. You know, I don't think it makes a difference. But anyways, and you're like, I think I'll try diesel today. <laughs> you know, because authentically, I just want to do diesel. It's my authentic self. I'm a diesel guy, you know, diesel sounds nice. Like Vin Diesel, I'm into diesel, you know, I like... <laughs> And you look at the owner's manual and it's like, no, put, you need to put unleaded gasoline in here. Now, how many of you know how foolish and stupid is that to disagree with the engineer? Don't disagree with German engineers. Come on. There's things that we know about life, right? If, the, if somebody has a German accent, they know what they're talking about when it comes to engineering. 
And they said, this is the type of gas you need to put in this vehicle. And you think, well, I'm going to do my own thing. You're not helping yourself. You're hurting yourself. Now, if there were such a thing as a God that actually created you, and as the scripture says, formed and fashioned you even in your mother's womb, knows you better than you know yourself, and desperately loves you and has the best at heart for you in all things and says, here is the owner's manual for you. Do it the right way. And you go, well, I think I'm just going to, you know, be my own, do my own thing. You're not actually going to get where you want to go in life. It's, it's unwise. It's, it's destructive. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this series, that there's a way that seems right, but it's way it leads to death. And God wants to get a hold of us in the way that we think. Our theme verse for this series is this, Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, don't do what everybody else is doing unless you want the results that everybody else has. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me just tell you right now, God has a plan for you and it's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Doesn't mean it's safe or comfortable or always fun, but it's fulfilling. It's the adventure of a lifetime and it's what you were made for. God will actually call you to do things you don't want to do and things that are scary to you. And then after you do them and in the moment, you might even be scared, but you realize I was made for this and God will take you to places that you never thought you could go and God will use you in ways you never thought that you could be used in, in a positive sense and he will give you this beautiful life which might not look like success in the eyes of the world as that is defined and yet inside of each and every one of us there is a search for meaning. There is, a, that, there is that thing that in, in the back of our hearts and, and kind of who we are, it's like those, those moments in the, in the evening or in the morning when you first wake up and you know I was made to do more than just survive. I was made to thrive. I was made for a purpose that's that part inside of you. You might even say that, that, uh, that piece of eternity that God has placed in you that cries out for something more. And God has made you for that. And he wants to change how you think so you can be the person he made you to be. And you go, does that mean God wants to give me a bunch of money and make a safe, comfortable life? Maybe, but maybe not. What it means is he has something for you and you're only going to discover it as you lean into to letting him teach you how to think. And he will transform your life. God will give you an upgrade in your thinking. God wants that, uh, that for us. Now, why does how we think matter so much? Why does this thinking thing matter so much? Number one, because all of life is a reflection of how we think. All, or what consumes your mind controls your life. It's a, a quote for you. What consumes your mind controls your life. This is absolutely true. I mean, we've all heard it said, you are what you eat. But I think more accurately, it should be said this, you are what you think. You are what you think because all of life is a reflection of how we think. I heard a, uh, read a story recently. <clears throat> I think I told it in church a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> about a young man. He wasn't very academically gifted. He, uh, he was kind of a dunce. He wasn't doing well in school. He wasn't getting good grades. He wasn't disciplined with his studies. He wasn't, uh, he, nobody thought he was going to win valedictorian or anything like that. And his mom said, well, I'd like you to try to graduate high school and, you know, do whatever you're going to do, but you need to study for this SAT test or whatever it was, some, some form of a standardized test. And he kind of was like, I don't know. He, he didn't really prepare very much. He didn't really work that hard. Uh, he didn't believe any, about himself that he was smart and nobody else believed it either because his grades were bad, right? It, it was accurate. <laughs> so 
he had a pretty accurate view of himself. He goes in, he takes this test, he gets his scores back. And I don't remember what the scores were on the test, but let's say he could get a 1500 and he got a 1400. And so his mom was surprised, he was surprised, the teachers were surprised, you know what I mean? The kid that copied his test was surprised. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody was surprised because he gets this note that says, you're not a dum-dum. You're like, you're a butterfinger. Like you're something better. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you like are actually kind of smart. You did really well on this test. So all of a sudden he's like, wow, I think I'm smart. And so he goes to college, gets into college on, on the back of this test score. And he goes to college, he gets a degree. He goes into business. This is a true story. This isn't me making this up. I'm not preaching. I'm telling the truth. Okay. He, he, <laughs> this actually happened. So he, he goes to college. He has this career path. He's successful. About 10 or 15 years later, he gets a letter in the mail from the testing uh, agency. And they said, sorry to inform you that we had a tabulation error and your actual score was like, you know, dumb, dumb level, right? It was like, <laughs> it was accurate. He actually didn't do well on this test. But you know what didn't happen? You know what the testing agency couldn't do? They couldn't take away his career, couldn't take away that marriage that he had, couldn't take away the success that he realized on the back of believing that he was smart. And it makes you think, I'm not going to study for a test anymore. I'm just going to try to get lucky. No. <laughs> what it tells us is that, and I think we know this, there's something very powerful about how we think. That if you believe you're the kind of person that can have success, oftentimes success will come to you. If you believe you're the type of person that can win in life, you're the, the type of person that can be who God's called you to be. And, there's, and when there's actual agreement on, in your brain with that thought, that it changes something about how you act and how you live. A man named James Allen wrote this, a man's mind may be likened into a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. Whether cultivated or neglected, it must, and it will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall there and will continue to produce their kind. I wrote just a summary statement of what he's saying here, this, the garden of your mind grows the fruit of your life. The garden of your mind grows the fruit of your life. And you and I are in control of this. What do we allow to get planted? And what do we allow to just grow wild? What do we cultivate in the garden of our mind? Because it grows the fruit of, your, of our life. If you don't like the fruit of your life, go plant different seeds in your garden. It's interesting because everyone here today is eating the fruit of the seeds we've planted in the garden of our mind in the years past. And there are some here today that are like, kind of like the fruit that I'm experiencing. Things are going well uh, in the areas of life that we can control. Obviously, there are things out of our control, but in areas that we have some agency in, we find that when we have been wise, for instance, if someone said to you when you were 20 years old and now you're 50, if they said, hey, there's this new computer company, it's a fruit company, I think they're like, fruit of the loom? No, it is, it's Apple. And you should buy a couple hundred shares. They're $9.14. How many of you would think that probably would have been awesome if I'd planted those seeds 25, 30 years ago? Like if in the late 80s when Steve Jobs finally came back to Apple or early 90s whenever that happened and you thought, I think I'll take a flyer on this little computer company, which is now a trillion dollar company. How many of you like five or six years ago would have been happy if you planted the seed of being like, there's this South African guy. His name is Elon Musk and he has this electric car company. How ridiculous. And I think I'll put $500 in there. And if you actually look at some of these things, and I'm just using that simple example of purchasing a stock, 
when you look back, you think, man, how smart would that have been to plant those seeds? Why? Because when in the future, when you forecast in, you realize now I'm enjoying the fruits of this. And yet, what do we do today? We go, oh, uh, there's too much risk in investment. Oh, there's too much risk in me going to get that education. There's too much risk in me really getting connected with what God has for me in church. There's too much work involved. And then we don't like the fruit that we're eating. If you don't like your life now, go back and slap yourself five years ago because that's when you were creating the life you're living now. Come on, somebody. You guys with me? The garden of your mind grows the fruit of your life. Now, to get away from that being a purely negative thing, here's the reality. If that is true, if what I'm saying is true, then this is a, this is a powerful, powerful, very helpful message you're receiving today that God is telling you and helping you understand if you don't like the results, you get to change what gets planted in that garden. You get to think about different things. The second point is this, that thoughts always precede words and actions. Now, words and actions are kind of like the levers of life. Words and actions are how we interact with other people, how we interact with God, how we interact with society, how we interact with money, how we interact in our marriage. The reality is, though some people think they know how you're thinking, they don't. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking right now. Hopefully you're thinking good thoughts. I know some of you are thinking about lunch. Some, I mean, I'm thinking about that too, so let's just, let's be honest about it. But uh, I can't tell what you're thinking. All, all, the only way that we can know what someone's thinking or, or where they're at is by hearing them speak, okay, or watching what they do. So words and actions are the levers of life that, that are observable, but they always are preceded by thought, before I took the action of asking Bethany to be my wife, I had to think through in my head, do I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman? And I had to think through the sheer terror of asking this beautiful, gorgeous, amazing woman to uh, receive the, the humble, uh, her humble husband, Jake. You know, to, to, I had to think through it. Does that make sense? And so words, all, our thoughts always come before words and actions. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, as Jesus uses this word heart, we tend to understand it as how you feel in your emotions or your feelings, but that's not the way it's being used here. It's actually being used to describe the totality of the inner life. So it includes your feelings, but it's also your thoughts and the way you process things. The reality is that the words that come out of our mouth uh, are very difficult to conceal uh, the fact that, and you can't do it forever, what's actually going on on the inside. For instance, if somebody is bitter and critical and cynical and bleh, jaded and everything's ugly and nasty and it's like a toxic wasteland on the inside, guess what comes out of their mouth? Toxic waste, right? If somebody is profane and perverted and their heart is just twisted then they're going to speak those things out because out of the abundance of the inner life flows the words that then create the, the actions and the realities that we see, the levers of life, those interface points in life. And so what happens is we often will tell people, well, you need to say, you need to be more positive. You're just so negative all the time. You're dealing with the wrong thing. It's like going to a person uh, with a broken arm and be like, well, just use your arm the right way. Well, they, they would, but their arm is broken. The problem when words are bad and when actions are bad is not that the words and actions themselves can affect anything, it's that they think the wrong way. And so when we go back to that, that verse in Romans, God is saying, I want to reveal to you this amazing transformed life that I have for you, my good and pleasing and perfect will, 
But the way that he does it is by changing how we think. Now, some people will say, well, do you change thinking with actions or whatever? We'll get into that as we go through this series. But thoughts always precede words and actions. James Allen, same guy we read the, the garden quote from earlier, says this, thought and action are the jailers of fate. In other words, they have the key to your destiny. The life that you desire, the life that God's made you to live is held captive by the way you think and what you do about it, what you do with it. But I, but I want to take us even back one step to say that if you get the garden right, if you think right, if you're like that kid that took that test and you have the right belief in there and God is working in the way you think, that changes everything downstream from there. So how, if we want God to change our thinking, and how many of you would say, okay, at least you got me far enough to believe I do want God to actually upgrade my thinking. Anybody here? Because here's the deal. You, you, sometimes in church, we over-spiritualize scripture and we over, what you think, how could you over-spiritualize the Bible? Well, you can. Uh, we over-spiritualize these principles. Um, the reality is that the fact, the two things that I just said, all of life is a reflection of how we think. Thoughts always precede words and actions. I would call these universal principles. I believe God has woven them into the fabric of reality in the same way he wove gravity into the fabric of reality. And it doesn't matter if you believe in gravity, it believes in you, right? <laughs> It'll always work on you, right? You're like, I believe I can fly. Sorry, Leah. I mean, you're going to hit the ground. Yeah, it's just not going to work. Uh, if, you, if you think like, uh, I, my authentic self doesn't believe in gravity, it doesn't matter. It still impacts you. It still affects you. Does that make sense? It's a universal law, a universal principle. In the same way, though you might hate what I'm saying, not like it, wish it wasn't true, it doesn't matter. It is, apart from our opinions, it's a universal principle. Thought precedes word and action. Thought is, creates the, uh, all of life reflects what is happening in our thought life, and it's that way because God designed the universe that way. You can either use it and profit from it, or you can hate it and reject it and want it to be a different way and be abused by it. Okay? You with me? Yeah. All right. Let's have some fun. So how does God change our thinking? How does God work in us? I'm going to give you some just kind of skipping rocks across the lake here, and then we'll go deeper into the water over the next couple of weeks in this series. Number one, God changes our thinking through discipline, study, and practice of his word. Through disciplined study and practice of his word. And I picked these words intentionally because the Bible has utility and function for us as human beings insofar as we engage with it. The Bible is not a magic book of spells or something that if you, it's not a magic book where if I place my Bible upon my coffee table and it just sort of sits there collecting dust, that it sort of just produces good juju, kind of like a candle from Better Homes and Gardens or something. And, you know, because we have a Bible in our house, the demons can't come in or whatever. You're practicing folklore magic. That's not Christianity. Uh, the real Christian faith says God gave you a mind to engage with his word so that he could change your mind so that it could actually see who he is and who you are and how the world is. And so for, for all of us, um, if you think like, man, I go to church on Sunday, so I'm following Jesus. You're not. You're doing something smart, but you're kind of like the person who goes to the gym and doesn't use the equipment. <laughs> I know some people like that. <laughs> it's me, right? So actually, I don't go. So, you know, take your judgment and go home. I don't go to the gym. So there you go. Anyways, you go to the gym. And have you ever been to a gym? And I actually have been to gyms before. I know I don't look like it, but I have. So you go there and there's that guy who just like, you ever seen those videos of people that are doing it totally wrong? You know, they're like swinging from the thing and you're like, dude, it's not how it works. 
You don't just go to church. You don't just put a Bible on your coffee table and think, oh, I'm getting it. I'm getting the God, you know, juju, whatever. You're, you're not. You're, you're actually missing sort of the meat of what he wants to do. There's this weird thing with books. I know we, have, we struggle with this in our society, but if you like read them, <laughs> you have to open them and read them or listen to them. And like the words have to actually go into your mind and then you have to do it to get the result. Because see, there's also people that are like, yeah, I read the Bible. I go to church. I read, you know, Jake put a verse up on the, on the screen. And, but yeah, but are you actually like saying, okay, where, where do I do about that? Because that's how we get the result. And one of the things that I always encourage as a, as a matter of course is that we as followers of Jesus would be committed to daily reading the Bible. And you guys, look, I could just throw my iPad on the ground and I could just talk about this all day that if all we would do is just read our Bibles every day with, again, this disciplined thing, I'm going to read it, I'm going to try to understand, I'm going to do it, that would just transform your life, that alone you know, people will sometimes say to me, well, I need you to like give me some counsel or I want to talk to you, have an appointment. And, and I'm at a point now where I'm ready to just say, do you read your Bible every day? Uh, no. Well, then we can't have an appointment because what am I going to say to you? How is Jake going to give you better wisdom than God, creator of heaven and earth, already gave you in his word? If you will not listen to God, why would you listen to me? That's a good point, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thus, all the counseling hours are closed. So... <laughs> I'm actually not joking, but uh, <laughs> I just laugh and so it feels like we're joking, but I'm very serious. Read the Bible every day. It's transformational to your life. Read it every day. Now, here's the deal. You go, well, does that mean God's mad at me when I don't read my Bible? No, because when you read the Bible, God doesn't get smarter. You do. We don't read the Bible for God. We read it for us. In the same way that if I don't go to the gym, some buff guy doesn't get weaker. It's for my benefit. Does that make sense? When you eat a donut, skinny people don't get fat. You know, it's not what happens. So God doesn't get offended when you don't avail yourself of what helps you. He desires it for you like a loving parent. He will push you towards it. He will try to get you to do it, but he's not going to manipulate you. And he doesn't get weaker or have less glory when you don't do something smart when you don't avail yourself of what's for you. So why do we read the Bible? It's not for God, it's for us. That's one time Bethany and I were talking about this and, and she was feeling kind of guilty because she'd been missing her devotions. And I'm like, babe, we have little kids. We just, you just had a baby. Like the kids are up all night. I mean, God knows you love him. You and God are like this. Like you guys are good. He's not mad at you. You know, he loves you, but we read the Bible for us. Does that make sense? And so this is how God changes our thinking. We get into his word and, and in the areas where we bump into it and it's like, I don't understand or I don't agree or whatever, those are the moments where you get to grow and he changes your thinking. Number two, God changes our thinking through intentional participation in Christian community. Intentional participation in Christian community. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I've been, I grew up in church, been at church my whole life. Uh, probably the most fun and I think the, just the most enjoyable group of people that I've ever been in church with is this group right here. You guys are awesome. I mean, I don't, people, I hate this about right now. I, Christians are always like, yeah, people don't, don't go to church because Christians are so bad. And I'm like, what Christians have you met? All the Christians I know are like extremely generous. They love people. They would give you the shirt off their back. 
And yet we have this weird like thing like Christians are all bad and people don't love Jesus because of Christians. Like that is just a load of garbage. That's like saying that one time I ate an apple and a worm came out, so all apples are bad. It's like the dumbest logic I've ever heard in my entire life. And the self-hatred for, for Christians and the self-hatred that we have for like the church, oh, people would, it's the church that people reject the church. No, they had a bad experience and they have a rotten heart too. And sometimes people have had a bad experience in church, but it doesn't mean throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I'm, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm just ranting, okay. I am a bit of a curmudgeon as I get older, I know, but I've always been a curmudgeon, always. So the reality though is this group of people is Phenomenal. Could you just pat yourself on the back real quick? You guys are amazing. You guys, as a church, planted like five churches in Cuba this year. You guys, as a church, are building a beautiful building to serve the community. We're going to build a playground. We're going to plant more churches. We're sharing the gospel. We're helping people. We give counseling. There's addiction help. Uh, there's groups. People can find community. Like, this is a great place. And it's also a bad place. Because guess what? You know why churches have problems? Because people go there. The problem with my life is I'm living it. I park my car on the lake and it goes in. You know, I tie the thing through the wheel, metaphorically. And I literally plug in dryers that aren't plugged into the right spot. The reason churches are messy and uncomfortable is because people are there. And yet God decided to use this thing called the church to actually bring some resistance to your life where you didn't just live in an echo chamber of everyone thinking uh, the exact same things. One of the most remarkable things about this environment that we call church is that here in this room are people that don't vote like you, look like you, or not the same race. Uh, there's men, there's women, there's older people and younger people. There's th that we don't agree about how to solve the problems in society, but what we can agree on is that Jesus has saved us and he has a purpose and a plan for this world and we're participating with him. And in that diversity is some unity. And in that unity comes the ability to actually have people of different perspectives, iron sharpening iron, rubbing against each other. And look, I said, I'm not a gym guy, but what I do know is that you can't grow muscle without resistance. And you can't grow character without resistance. And you can't grow grace without somebody that tests your patience. And you can't grow generosity without being around people that are in need to help give. And you can't grow health without being around some people that are a little bit unhealthy. Come on, somebody. It's interesting because we live in a culture that people will say, well, this is the most connected culture in human history. We have the internet and you have access to all this information and people can, you can connect with people. I have friends all over the world, online and so on and so forth. And yet the, the diversity of thought is actually at the lowest point in human history and I'll tell you why. Even though we have the ability to connect with more people and get more perspectives than ever before, we actually have less diversity of thought now. The reason is because the internet has allowed us to become completely tribalistic in who we connect with and listen to. We live in a digital echo chamber where we speak our, what we believe is accurate or whatever and it comes right back at us by someone who completely agrees with us and challenges us in no way so we sound brilliant, they sound brilliant, and we affirm the same wrong ideas to each other. Whereas if you go back 100 years, you lived in a community and you had Jack the Lumberjack and you had John the Mechanic and you had Susie the Shopkeeper and Susie was a little bit more liberal and she cared for people a little bit different than John, but John had some good ideas about the economy and Jack had some good ideas about something else and they had to make it work because those were the only people that you knew. You couldn't just create some echo chamber and so we, we sit in our very lofty place in history, sitting upon a 
throne of technology and we congratulate ourselves at how diverse we are and we're ridiculously not diverse. We basically talk to ourselves in a mirror all day online and we get uh, affirmation about our wrong beliefs, but not the church. In the church, you come and it's again, it's not people that voted like you all the time. It's not people that look like you. It's not. There's actually diversity and resistance inside of that community You shouldn't go to church because it makes you comfortable. You shouldn't go to joy group just because there's a good meal to eat. You should go because it's true. And you have the maturity to recognize that God is upgrading your thinking by providing you with the sandpaper of other people that are real, that don't think exactly like you think. And heaven forbid that someone would actually be better at something than you. Like what if there's somebody who's really good with money and they could upgrade you there? What if there's somebody who's a great parent and they could upgrade you there? What if there was someone who was really close with Jesus and had a d- devout prayer life and you could come alongside and be like, could you, could you show me what you do? It's weird. It's almost like we have a word for this. It's called discipleship. <laughs> and it might even be in our mission statement. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Isn't that weird? It's almost like we thought through this. Okay, so <laughs> intentional participation in Christian community. Are you with me? All right, through number three, and we're wrapping this thing up, through a fresh revelation of who he is and who you are. This is how God changes our thinking. If God can unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny. God wants to reveal who he really is to you so you know the father that desperately loves you. The scripture says, though, that God disciplines whom he loves. We live in a culture where anytime discipline is applied, we call him a hater. You're a hater. No, no. People that hate you ignore you. Those that love you will actually challenge you. In the same way with my kids, if I ignore them, that's not expressing love. The love of a father is engaging with the dysfunction. It's not hatred. It's love. Now, can you be abusive in correction? Yes. And that's not what we're talking about here. God actually, as a father, has the nurture and the challenge vitamins for us. And he wants to reveal who he is. So you know his love, thus you don't doubt his intentions in your life. Most of the questions that we have about faith, because I answer people's questions and I invite anybody that has questions about faith. If you have questions about Christian faith, please talk to me. Like, don't live your life wondering something if somebody can help you figure something out. But many of the questions I get about, well, why does God allow this? Or why does God this? Or why does God that? Or why is it this way? And why does, you know, do we hate this group of people or whatever? They always stem with a mistrust of the character of God. Because when you know someone's character, you can often know the answer to why they are doing a certain thing in a certain way and not bring a judgment to them if you know their real character. Thus, knowing the real character of God is is so important. And and then in, in that pursuit of knowing God, we also come to know ourselves and who we were really made to be. And in that, God does something powerful and unlocks us in our thinking. So if you want to do this, I just want to give you one action step today. And this is it. One step. Admit you need an upgrade. I don't know about you, But I'm in a little bit of a, you know, it's just a passive-aggressive battle right now with Apple and Microsoft. Because every day they remind me that I need an upgrade. You know, it's like, hey, uh, you need to update your operating system. And I am clinging jealously to Sierra or whatever I'm on on Mac and, you know, Windows 95. Do you need more? It had Snake and FreeCell. I mean, what else do you need? And it tells me every day, you know, you need to upgrade. And I always click that button, just remind me tomorrow, Apple. Remind me tomorrow. Remind me tomorrow. I've been reminded tomorrow for about five years, you know, because I don't want to go through the hassle. But here's the deal. God is bringing his word to you today saying, hey, it's time for an upgrade. I want to upgrade your thinking. I want to get you to the next operating system. I want to level you up. And all we need to do today is say, yes, Lord, 
I humble myself. I humble myself. My dad always says this, and he says it ironically, so please hear me the right way, that stupidity got us into this mess. Stupidity will get us out. And the answer to that is no, it will not. And yet we think often the same person that got you, the same thinking that got me into this mess, I'm going to continue to operate with that operating system in my thought life, and it will get me out. It will not. If the same pattern of thinking gets you into marriage after marriage after marriage, and you just can't seem to find the right person, have you ever considered to think about the fact that you might not be the right person? Oh. If it seems like you keep going around the mountaintop, mountain with your children, and you can't get your kids to respect you, and you can't get your kids to obey, and all this kind of stuff, have you ever thought maybe that it's time for an upgrade? If you can't get out of debt, if you, and we can go through this, and all of us have this stuff, you can't seem to get healthy in your body, whatever it may be, it's, it's your thinking. And you know what? There's no judgment on that. God loves you so much. He's not here to criticize you or judge you. I'm not here to criticize you or judge you. And guess what, guys? I don't have it all figured out. I'm in an upgrade process too. All of us are. But no matter what level you're at, what operating system version you're on, God wants to take you to the next level today and through the rest of this series. So just admit, I need an upgrade. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's truth will give you freedom. It'll help you be the person he made you to be. Father, we thank you so much for this word. I pray that God, it would not just go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, we would receive it today with humility to say, yes, I need an upgrade. God, help me to think your thoughts about you, about myself, and about the world around me. Help me to think like you think. And God, help me to get the garden of my mind weeded and not let the, the seeds of this polluted world of perversion and profanity and not let the seeds of, of doubt and discontent and always looking over the neighbor's fence at whatever he's got. Lord, let, let those seeds not be in this garden let your word, let your purposes, let your plans, let strong marriages and healthy finances and uh, blessed lives and people that are serving you with generosity and joy, let that be planted in the garden of our mind. Let us meditate and be filled with those things that are pure and virtuous and of good report. God, I pray that you would upgrade us in our thinking so that we can see the fruit of our life reflect the good things you're doing in us, God, in the invisible place that they can be seen in the visible. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? Just real quick, bow your head and close your eyes. If there's uh, anybody here today and you say, uh, Jake, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a Christian, uh, but I want that upgrade that you're talking about. Listen, uh, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. So if you hear me preach up here, you might think, man, it kind of sounds like he knows what he's talking about um, a little bit. And the reality is most of the time uh, I'm clinging desperately to the feet of Jesus and hoping to keep up. <laughs> And, I, and most of us here that are followers of Jesus are feeling exactly the same way. And so there is no judgment. I don't place myself or any of us at a, on a platform. We all come to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. And if that's you today and you say, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me, Jesus, would you raise your hand so I can see? I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. And if that's you today and you raised your hand and you're with me, I just want Jesus to save me and I want to walk with him. The beautiful news of the gospel is that God loves you so much. He gave Jesus to us. He gave his life for us on the cross. 
And by trusting in him for our salvation and making him the Lord of our life, he gives us eternal life and he invites us on a journey of following him. And you get to start that today. Please pray this prayer with me and we'll give you a few steps in just a moment. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard. But thank you for grace and mercy that you gave me at the cross. You gave your life for me. And I receive it. And I give you my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Give me the grace to go on this journey with you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.